Let us begin with a quote from one of my favorite feminist and social critics, Camille Paglia. Quote, A woman simply is, but a man must become. Masculinity is risky and elusive. It is achieved by a revolt from woman, and it confirmed only by other men. Manhood, coerced into sensitivity, is no manhood at all. Assalamu alaikum. Happy to be here. Oh, excellent, brother. I am so excited to have you on today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So, the project that I'm currently working on is called Renewing Rujula. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Rujula is the uh, Arabic word. We usually translate it as manhood or manliness, but it really is a term that means, I would say, prophetic manliness or like a holistic manliness. So I like to add those uh, adjectives to the to the front of it to kind of differentiate it between what I think people typically think of as quote-unquote manly. If I could go back to the beginning, there was a book I read a few years ago called Boys Adrift by Dr. Leonard Sachs. As I read that book, I, I saw a picture of myself in that book as a man who was really lost in life and really had no direction, didn't really know what to do or where my life was headed. And as time has gone on and as, you know, through, through conversations with you, my own research and learning about psychology, manliness, masculinity, philosophy, religion, through all these, these different um, avenues of knowledge, I've, I've grown, alhamdulillah. And I think that there are a lot of men who, were at, who are currently now where I was those years ago. And I think maybe there's some value that I can offer to my fellow men to, to see their way out of that woods. And I'm still growing, obviously, too. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have everything all figured out by no means. That sort of re-emphasis now on, on the feminine, I feel like a lot of men are being left behind now. The world has changed so drastically in the past few decades, even from when I was a kid. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 30 next month, so I'm still a relatively young man and I feel like a lot of us as men, we've been kind of left behind and we don't know how to make our way in the world, you know, from seeing how our fathers did it and how our grandfathers did it. The, that path really no longer works for a lot of men, kind of just uh, getting the regular nine to five and you have the wife staying at home, taking care of the kids and you're the breadwinner. That sort of formula has has not possible for a lot of guys. And there's also a lot of challenges around entertainment. I think um, things like video games and pornography and these sort of outlets for masculine fulfillment that we have used as surrogates to replace um, true and real and healthy outlets for the ma- for masculine energy. I think that's a, these are big problems that we're facing as men. And I think it's causing us to still, we're still stuck in this mire, this, this muck and mire of this new age. And we don't quite know as men, how to get out of it and how to how to live healthy, truly masculine lives. For one, because we don't really know, I think a lot of us don't really know what is healthy masculinity. You know, what does it mean to really be a man? And these are questions I think that really drive me. And I I, I know the pain of what a lot of young men are going through, even even older men are going through. And I want to be able to be, inshallah, just one piece among 
other content creators out there, one voice among others, to just do my part and try to uplift other people by God's grace, inshallah. The big question for me right now is, uh, what are some of the big issues that you see Muslim men facing right now? And I, I know it's a big question, but I guess if you could pick some of the very more salient, I guess, more salient points there, I'd really like to know what are the are the big issues that Muslim men are facing now? Issue that men are typically facing from at least, again, my personal experience is, number one, they're not facing that they even have issues, right? It's like, that's the first issue is self-acceptance or self-awareness of there might be issues that I have or issues in my marriage. And so it's always very difficult to grow, transform and heal with somebody who doesn't recognize there's a disease or injury, right? It's like the, it's like the family member that you love, but they never want to go to the doctor, right? Because they never want to see that there's anything wrong with them. It's like that mm. drives you crazy, you know, um, because you want to help them, but they don't want to help themselves. And they keep finding ways to not, you know, to avoid getting a checkup, even though their condition is getting worse. So this can happen in a psycho-emotional, spiritual level in people's families, right? It's like the man's losing his way, the wife is concerned, the kids are like, what's going on? Baba doesn't pray or Baba treats mom like this, you know, and so forth. And sometimes it's the dad's more of the solid parent and the mom is the one that needs a lot more, you know, help and, and healing. Um, and so that can be tricky because the man has to work, let's say, but he also wants to be there for the kids because sometimes, you know, the mom's energy is harmful, let's say, right? So sometimes I think the first thing we all have to remind ourselves of as men and as humans in general is like the first pillar of Islam, the Shahada, bearing witness to what is true and what is real is a etiquette and principle you must live by you know, as much as possible. In other words, be an open, honest, sincere, deep person that reflects, right? You got to see things beyond the surface. A lot of us are very happy with yeah. the, you know, kind of functional, no conflict pulse in life. But that's not a pulse of creativity or depth or profundity. It's just as long as things aren't sinking, we'll stay afloat. Right. So that's the that's the first first big one. Right. Is self-awareness, because that's the first step to any actual change or transformation acknowledgement. Um, but let's let's just start with that first one, uh, because I think that's the opener for everything. else. Yeah, absolutely. I think and I think one question that really immediately comes to my mind is, do women have just a, just as hard of a time as with self-awareness as men do? Or do you think it's more of a problem with men? I'm not sure if it's like a, let's say a gender specific thing, um, because I've I've had again situations where, you know, one gender is is typically more self aware or attuned to their emotions than than not, right? Um, but just because one is attuned to their emotions doesn't mean their emotions are always as sound or valid as they deem them to be as well, right? So that's that you know just because you're aware of your emotions doesn't mean you're now like fully you know enlightened or whatever right but I think the challenge is women tend to be perhaps let's say um, over attuned to emotions and a lot of interconnected parts around their emotions whereas men have a perhaps a different scope of how they access or understand or integrate emotions into certain settings or conversations and this is why you find a lot of you know, conflict, let's say, or disagreement, or I just don't know how to relate to this person. And it goes both ways, you know. Uh, so I don't know if that adds to that point, but that's uh, what came up for me. 
No, absolutely. And I think maybe we can hone in a little bit on this this sort of issue of, of self-awareness. I think um, just some comments from me on that point. 2020 has been a year that many people have maligned. And uh, there's reasons for that, of course. It's been a very challenging year for a lot of people. But I do think one of the positives of this is that I think because of the quarantine and being sort of locked away, I think this may have forced people to start evaluating themselves and really looking inside of themselves about who they are and what they believe. Um, You know, just kind of my own perusing of social media during this past year, I've seen a lot uh, more podcasts, uh, content creators starting to discuss and question dominant narratives of all types. And I can't help but believe that one of those sort of common paradigms that we're starting to see hopefully challenged is the sort of stereotypical man who doesn't look inside of himself, doesn't take time to say, oh, maybe I do have some issues that I need to, to address because these things start to border on emotional and mental health. And that's still a subject that is, while it's gaining more acceptance, is still kind of taboo. Am I correct in saying that, that it's more taboo? I, I, still I taboo? Would, yeah, I would tend to agree with that, especially when um, like a large percentage of the people I've worked with are, um, you know, either coming from immigrant culture or they are immigrants themselves. And so typically, I think in Eastern cultures, you have more of a collective fam- family emphasis and one's, you know, one's locus of value, worth and um, kind of fulfillment or success tends to be more dictated by people rather than self, right? And maybe in the West, it's uh, the other extreme. It's all about self and individual and the collective is like secondary or, or third, right? In evaluating personal choices. So, you know, you have these extremes and anytime you have extremes, you have a snapback in of an extreme, right? And so I don't think this male, you know, lack of emotional intelligence or you know, perhaps minimizing intimacy. And again, it's not necessarily conscious. It's just the way we've been raised. I mean, I feel like most men are not raised to access or taught that they have other emotions other than fear and anger, right? It's like, that's the only two that are typically appropriate and and acceptable for a man to express inside or outside in society, typically. It's like, if a man's crying on the street, that and you know breaking down because he's heartbroken or terrified of something a lot of people would think that's weirder than him perhaps breaking stuff because he's angry it's like oh we expect that you know kind of thing but we don't expect this mess of a guy actually crying and not smashing stuff so you know i think that maybe it's been it's been it ha- it's been around for a long time right and i think part of that is there's wisdom in our nature right because men typically have done very different challenge, challenge uh, roles and challenges with the world and other societies. For instance, you know, hunting, military, things that had to force us as human beings to have a different relationship with our emotions. In other words, we have to be better at compartmentalizing and repressing because turns out we would end up, de- you know, dealing and facing with a lot more Um, let's say, uh, traumatic raw events uh, as far as nature or death, right? Whether it's killing and hunting or it's protecting by harming other human beings so that your own family or tribe isn't harmed, right? So it's a very different wiring. And that's why I think a lot of women have to recognize that men are never going to be this like 
you know, they're not going to be able to relate to you on such a subtle level as, let's say, your your female friends or, or relatives, right? I mean, so men, women also have to recognize you can't attach and expect something that isn't actually necessarily going to be produced based on the design of this product. You know what I mean? It's like I can't expect my computer to take me to Egypt <clears throat> if I want it to. It's like physically my laptop won't do that for me. It can only it can only be used as a means to get me to an airplane, let's say, right? But it's there's only certain things it can do based on its own design. And a man, I think, and a woman, yeah. we have some truth in that as well, right? In the sense that there's a biological, biochemical anchoring that will naturally affect our psychology, perceptive frameworks, and how we relate, receive, and give to the world and others, right? And ourselves, of course, right? And so if a man is already kind of not accessing his own emotions or doesn't know how to, right? It's kind of a hieroglyphic language to him. He's not going to be uh, successful necessarily in accessing his wife's emotions, let alone developing empathy and vulnerability over time, right? Because again, you can't gain something you're not aware you can you possess or can possess ultimately can you yeah a absolutely and this is a really great point that i want to bring home for our listeners because this is something this this phenomenon that we see with men and you mentioned it you know because a lot of muslims of course the vast majority of muslims in the west they they have immigrant backgrounds, right? Whether their parents are immigrants or their grandparents are immigrants, there's the vast majority of us in our, in our community today uh, have that immigrant background. And I will say this, that, you know, white and, and black and Latino Americans and those of us that have, have roots in this continent for generations back, that has been the masculine experience as well. And even my own uh, looking at my own uh, father and, and grandfathers and these sorts of things. Tell us your background real quick, just to ground us and where, where worldview you're coming from. I'm, I'm a typical white American, uh, have various European, uh, you know, stocks, I guess you, you could say Irish, Dutch, German, very standard American-like makeup that a lot of people would say, oh, that's just like with the majority of people that live in America, that's your background. And I, I grew up in a, a small working class town in Wisconsin. And, and uh, this is, you know, growing up, this was uh, how men behaved. And it's still how a lot of men behave. Just, it's just the same way that it's, I, I only, when I, I can either respond to, to external negative stimuli with either fear or anger, right? And it's like, maybe this thing makes me sad, but I can only do it one, in this way. I can, it only, it can only come out in this way. So this is a thing that, uh, that in my own experience, interacting with relatives, with male relatives, this is how, how they were. And that's how I learned as well. That's how I learned to deal with my own pain or, or negative things happening in my life was, you know, yelling and, and maybe breaking stuff or fighting somebody or whatever it is. If I may, when you say like, well, this is what I learned, it's not necessarily you're saying like dad sat you down and is like, son, when you get upset, yell and <laughs> scream and break things and don't, you know, listen to the other person. You're talking about you learned through what example, right? Which, by the way, exactly. is a, it's, it's a very important reminder, too, is like if you don't go out of your way to teach your kids or yourself anything, guess what? You're still being taught by whatever's happening around you. Exposure and engagement with any stimuli is, is, is going to shape you. 
This is why we have to be cautious about our environments and our relationships. Absolutely. Alhamdulillah, this was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so I'm so grateful for my parents. I mean, my parents, I think, did a very good job. I know they did the best they could and they were very loving and, uh, and nurturing. But you still, when you start to kind of explore these topics and you start to open your eyes to the full gamut of human emotion and, and what the human being is capable of experiencing and knowing, you kind of look back and you see like, oh, you know, there were some things there that 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 didn't necessarily like they're they're kind of deficient in some ways right because of the fact that you mentioned right that for a very long time we as bo as men we've had to learn to deal with negativity in ways that allowed us to keep our sanity essentially right and though in these things get passed on generation after generation but and i think to kind of maybe build on that a little bit because now we live in a society a lot of us here in the west at least you know, we live in that middle class lifestyle where the rule of law applies. We can walk down the street unarmed. You know, one one interesting point I I learned that um, some of the scholars of our of our tradition they said that you know a man should always be armed. You know, this was this was centuries ago, of course, but you know th even think about the time in the Muslim Ummah where there was highway robbery and and brigands and these sorts of things. Us in America and the West, a lot of us don't have to deal with this. And so that sort of ingrained male aggression, this need for aggression and protection, a lot of times it no longer has an outlet. And I think you used the metaphor with me a few times in our conversations about updating the software, right? That we have to update our software to be able to function in the world that we now live in. And uh, I think that's something that for me, I started to realize that in my own personal journey was like, you know, this, my way of handling things, maybe it would have worked 20, 30 years ago, but, uh, that's, that's, it's changed. It's, it's these, the ways that I would, I was dealing with negativity and emotions, they were having a negative effect and they weren't, uh, allowing me to be the man that I wanted to be and that I envisioned for myself to be. So I had, to, I had to kind of take a look, take a look inside and, and see, Hey, look, we need to address some things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it's uh, that, you know, going back to your point on kind of the historical shaping of men. I mean, again, anytime you have a context where high survival, you know, your survival meter index is really strong or high. Right. So if you're if you're coming from post colonization, right, generations, which is a lot of Muslim immigrants like their parents and their parents and their parents were under colonization. Right. Could have gone even further back, depending on where you lived. Right. And so that affects people in their sense yeah. of survival mode. And that doesn't allow people to have the luxury of higher human development. Right. Like abstract philosophical thinking, deeper emotional intelligence, intimacy. You don't have time for that if you've got to work three jobs and you have a wife with 12 kids and you're in poverty. And now you've got a golden ticket to America with $150 and you're going to make your way. You don't have time to love each kid and look them in the eyes. And you know what I mean? It's like a lot of people, that's the reality. And by the way, that also applies to the United States. Everybody who came here were immigrants in the last couple of generations, including your parents and all the Europeans who fled their countries to come here for what? Survival, dealing with a new land, new weather, new diseases, new people you know, and so forth. So a lot of that is also in America. When you think about it, America is all about these days business and consumerism and survival and resources. I mean, it's the main culture of capitalism 
All right, that's the religion of Christmas for the most part yeah. these days, right? And again, not my words. Yeah. One of my professors yes. uh, wrote a book called Christmas as the Relig- New Religion of Capitalism. And this was something that I read back in undergrad, you know? So the, this concept of, you know, where does that come from? Like survival is about fear of poverty and death. And that means you counter that with extreme obsession, perhaps with consumer and access to resources. And it's no coincidence that America today is a is a small you know small percentage of the po- world population yet we consume about 26% of the world's resources and we're still wasteful and throwing up most of that in the trash even so this is this is where we're at even on a collective so it's not always necessarily like a you know eastern or western thing i think you know the man thing is there's a almost a universal um set of understanding cross-cultural let's say qualities and then there's personal biology and culture that plays that out and then of course uh the context right so but it's interesting that even if you look at you know the west in america where we're from you also have a similar experience of many muslim immigrant parents which is they left their country there was some kind of colonization or ruling authority that they didn't want to be a part of. So they went to a new place to start a life. And the Europeans just did that a few generations before many of the Muslims and other minorities who came to the U.S. Uh, did afterwards. I don't think there's any, let's say, one culture or race that's dealing with, let's say, toxic masculinity. Right? It's everywhere, just like you have healthy masculinity in every culture. Right. In other words, there's good men and bad men everywhere. Right. And so it doesn't matter if you're a devout Muslim or Christian or anything else. You could still be in some ways not a healthy masculine force or energy in your family. And you could be a person uh, who is right. And you can be a person from a different worldview who is or isn't. So what are your thoughts about that kind of framing as well? Yeah, I think that's uh, extremely helpful. I think you know, it doesn't matter where you, like, like, again, where you come from or your background or your race, a lot of the things that, that make us who we are, are the, are the traumas that we've gone through and everybody goes through trauma. And I think, uh, Hakeem Archuleta, he's a big, um, holistic healer. I think he was classically trained as well in the, uh, Tib and Nebuwi, the prophetic medicine practices, I think in Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, Hakeem's there and he's he mentioned i think years ago in a talk he said we live in a we live in a traumatizing age an age of trauma right so uh despite all of the material abundance that we have here in the west for for a lot that a lot of us experience we're still dealing with anxiety depression we're dealing with um addiction and i think maybe this might be a good time to segue into you know yes we know that a lot of a lot of men in, in general, there's this denial, there's this maybe even blindness, whether willfully or unwillfully, towards the issues that, that we do have. But uh, we still often now in the modern age, we're finding these outlets for our needs and our desires that are unfulfilled maybe or the emotional needs that we have that are unfulfilled. And we're kind of acting out in these these other ways i think traditionally here in the west uh you know there's that show mad men that a lot of people like to watch uh, a few years ago i don't know if it's still on or not but you look at you know the 50s and 60s what the what the guys did right they were you know a lot of men were sleeping around with their wives they were they were you know drinking on the job drinking after work quite frequently you know and we as muslims we don't really have uh, we have some barriers 
to that behavior, our religion, we have community, a lot of us have families that are, that are religious and we have this sort of inborn sense of piety from a very early age of, you know, don't, we don't drink alcohol. We don't do, we don't have relations with the other gender outside of marriage. So we don't, um, we don't do some of the things that in other cultures that men do to kind of quote unquote, let off steam or to sort of self-medicate with the stress and with the problem, with the, uh, with the issues that we face on a day-to-day basis. So what do you think about transitioning into uh, a discussion on that? Like how are we as Muslim men dealing with, you know, even if we aren't necessarily aware that we, we have issues, I, I would imagine that a lot of us men are still acting out in ways to kind of alleviate maybe some of that pain that we're, that we're experiencing. I think a, a good general principle is whenever, you know, from an Islamic worldview, whenever the human being is not fulfilling their clear, identifiable, you know, human parts, right? In other words, your, Jordan is not just his, his physical appearance, or he's not just his thoughts, he's not just his sexuality, or just his emotions, or just his hobbies and interests. He's all of it, integrated. And so, you know, a lot of times... Um, the fulfillment comes or lack of fulfillment or, or, you know, sense of depletion and, and unworthiness comes when you're not, you know, embracing the all the working elements of, of oneself, right, which is part of this understanding of human science and, you know, um, the design of, of God, if you will, right. And so that's part of that self-awareness is recognizing what your condition and human system is all about. And that means you have to recognize emotions are, you know, an equitable um, means of consciousness and understanding information as a self, just like thinking is, right? Cognitive processes. Uh, and your body is where emotions happen. So being more attuned to your body. When you're not, you're separated more from your emotions that actually tell you and indicate a lot about your conscious experience of things, right? And so if this now can reduce a person to having, you know, a depleted or turned off or unhealthy intimacy emotional system. And because that is not part of your nature to live as a human without proper, healthy, natural intimacy, you will find ways to act out or find, let's say, shortcuts or synthetic injectors for that. In other words, when intimacy is about connection and closeness and safety and acceptance and approval and appreciation, one soul to another. If that's not happening in a healthy, substantial, valuable way for a person, whether it's a male or a female, there will be ways we're going to unconsciously drive ourselves to seek that out or fulfill it. So if I don't know what intimacy is as a man, or I don't think it matters, or it's all fluffy woman stuff, I'm just going to pay bills, tell everyone what to do, and no, I can't be questioned, right? And that sometimes can also generate pride and forms of narcissism, right? Because again, those things don't require a lot of real feeling to accomplish, right? It's uh, it's the opposite. So anything without emotion can lead to detrimental things. And so the, the man may find ways to act out like intimacy. If they're lacking intimacy, they don't know how to identify it or attain it properly. They may now use sexuality as a shortcut or synthetic way to get intimacy. In other words, I feel close to the feminine. The feminine gives me what I want. It appreciates me through the world of porn or erotic nature. And I don't get that with my wife who, you know, maybe the man thinks is just constantly complaining and nagging and this and that when maybe she's just trying to 
bid for emotional attention and connection, but the man doesn't understand this language. So he just sees it as, you know, nonstop, let's say, nagging or bothering or I'm never going to be good enough for her. And if you take a man now who has, let's say, confidence issues, low self-esteem to begin with, that can compound his acting out or his forms of numbing and escapism because he's unable to connect and find fulfillment and healing through empathy and vulnerability because that's very scary for a person who is um, either unaware that that exists or uh, is, is too prideful to lower and humble himself for that deeper human connection. Or the person is so, you know, has, let's say, an attachment uh, style where they're more fearful, pre preoccupied or anxious about others. And so it's difficult for them to fully, you know, love, give their love or embrace their love. So there's a, a lot of ways it can play out. And I again, men tend to be kind of on this island in the world of human science, emotion, psychology. In other words, most of the people who are, let's say, more attuned to these things are women because by nature, they're more relational and more emotional, typically because most women will become mothers and they typically spend more time, you know, uh, raising the offspring than the male does in most species as well. And, uh, and they're, so they're already more relational and emotionally attuned by nature. But furthermore, they also tend to sometimes marry men that um, if you marry a man who is, let's say, even more suboptimal in emotion than others, that can be very challenging for sisters. And I've heard this so many times, Jordan, like women feel literally like they're alone, even though the guy makes great money. He play, you know, he might play with the kids and he's kind of a swell dude, but, you know, he still has issues as far as, you know, some things in personality. But the marriage itself is like a, a dry, depleted, you know, I don't know, like cup in the heart for for a lot of women, right? Uh, so it's it's challenging. But then also, again, sometimes women are a bit unrealistic with their expectations around the man's emotional, intimate, you know, romantic capacities, especially if for the last 20 years, he's never shown a sign of it. I mean, he's not going to become Fabio tomorrow either, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, what you're mentioning again here with with our capacities as as men, um, you know, these are things that, again, we, we learn from growing up and seeing how our own parents, or even in some cases, um, in a lot of unfortunate cases, just one parent seeing how they are. And we maybe never developed those sort of romantic or emotional aspects of ourselves because we just kind of saw, well, hey, you know, my dad, he just, he just worked all the time and that was pretty much it. And that's what I'm going to do. The do what your forefathers do fall back on what your forefathers did clause, which yeah. Muslims and everyone does. Right. And it's a common argument in the Quran. It's like, well, this is what our parents did. So why should we be any different? Right. That's what my dad did in 1920. So why should I be any different in 2020? Right. So this is sometimes the mentality you're describing here. You know, one thing I, I think we've been focusing on so far in our conversation has, has sort of been that traditional masculine right the and by traditional i mean doing what my forefathers sort of did that what you know the man who he was the breadwinner he uh ordered people around and if there was a, something that needed to be needed to be fixed he'd fix it or he'd call somebody to fix it whatever the case may be but there's also this other uh side of the coin now too and i think it's because of uh new alternative narratives in the media, third wave feminism, neo-Marxism, uh, these sorts of lines of thinking now, we're, we're seeing men kind of 
regressing in other ways where there's a lack of vitality, there's a lack of masculinity, a lack of strength. And I'm seeing this is kind of becoming a problem as well. Is this something that you're seeing in your work or something you'd like to comment on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's uh, pretty observable. Um, but tell me more about, you know, your observations. And, and are you suggesting like you feel like men are losing that kind of core, let's say, natural masculine drive that tends to be embedded in, in most men? Is that where you're going with this? Let's let's I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about it from your perspective as a white American who's like, all right, even I'm like something's off here. Right. Because I can see within a Muslim brown, you know, context how it's just kind of a whole other discussion because of the historical evolution of things. But tell me more about what you're describing here. I'd be, I'd be curious to hear that. Yeah. So I think that there is like, especially in in American culture and and I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what I'm getting from what you said is this is may not be as much of a problem with Muslim men today, despite the fact that I think there are Muslim men who are dealing with it. But there is this uh, lack of, of drive, this lack of ambition, lack of strength and confidence that's becoming more prevalent among men and young men. And I think a lot of men are now escaping into the world of video games and porn and they because of the rewards and and these are not the only two things that are causing this of course but because of the the dopamine squirts they're common they're very common common. because they're very you know the way that men's brains are wired is that we are we aim to accomplish things right we aim to to achieve things. And then also with the sec with the sexual thing, we're, we want to spread our seed far and wide, just from a purely biological standpoint, you know, never mind the our spiritual and higher components, but just our, our sort of mammalian reptilian brain where we're trying to just we're trying to spread our seed far and wide. Video games nowadays, they are engineered to be addictive. They're engineered to give you every so often a squirt of dopamine to a man who's like wired to achieve things. So you're achieving things every few minutes. You're getting that consistent squirt of dopamine. And then also with pornography, right? You have access to countless, I mean, thousands upon thousands of the women from which you can enjoy. And, you know, I've heard it said that like one of the biggest drivers for, for especially young men it is that sort of that sexual relationship with a woman and traditionally a man would have to really get his get his life together to even be considered as a potential suitor and now with uh oh, yeah. with promiscuity being as rampant as it is that's that's certainly not the case a man can can go out to the bar on saturday night and and you know find find a willing partner pretty easily i think and there's also even if he doesn't do that he has uh, the internet to fall back on. And when you're constantly, your brain constantly thinks that it's always having sexual intercourse with these beautiful women, I think there's a sort of laziness that comes over because like, well, why do I need to, why do I need to work? Why do I need to build my life up? Why do I need to improve myself? My brain is thinking, hey man, you're, do, you're, you're doing just fine because you got all these women and you're achieving all this stuff in the in, in video game world. So, what else do you need to do? But that part of our brain is being tricked, but the reality is actually quite different. And while our brains think we're, we're kings, in reality, we're, we're slowly going further and further down into this, this sort of darkness, really, of, 
of isolation and and uh, loneliness and just fantasy. Subhanallah. Even though that's the opposite of what we thought we would accomplish some, through some of these, you know, addictive acting out habits, let's say, that could become that, right? But uh, I, I think those are really two powerful, important um, mechanisms that you're mentioning here, Jordan. So perhaps when we, we could essentialize why men typically, and this is a common from my experience too, just from the people who, men who come to work with me, you know, it's, you know, and I hear it from women a lot, like there's problems with, you know, um, exposure to illicit material online, or it's like the guy is like always, it's like they complain about their husband, like it's their teenager who won't get off the video game or the computer, right? So what's happening here is number one, intimacy. Remember, it's about closeness, safety, connection. The opposite of that is disconnection, right? So the opposite of addiction is actually connection, if you use that framing, right? And so if I'm not getting intimacy or fulfillment or value or worth or purpose or my highest potential is being accomplished or validated or appreciated, right? And even if it's not my highest potential, it's just what I'm doing right now isn't being acknowledged or appreciated or valued or I feel worthy enough to keep going, right? Because it's, it's hard. A lot of times even women think, oh, men don't need emotional support, right? And so they may sometimes play a role in our um, depletion. And furthermore, because men don't know how to ask or they think it would be, you know, weak and pathetic to be vulnerable or say, you know, honey, I really need some support or I'm feeling low or, you know, I need some confidence boosters. It's like, well, that's a hard thing for a lot of men. So the world of pornography and the world of video gaming does a couple of things for any human psychology, but perhaps specifically for men, we're drawn to it because it does give us, like you said, senses of for number one, engaging with a reality that we have seemingly more power or control over, right? Because the opposite of that is anxiety and fear. When I don't have predictability or power and control over something, that makes me feel helpless. So we humans are constantly yep. Yep. living a story, the life story, the world story, and interpreting the story. So we're constantly making meaning. And the world of gaming or even film is just a different way of storytelling today. And what's fun about gaming is you actually can be a director of the story, right? You can control it. You can play it, basically, right? And it alters what you see and what, what happens. You can interact with people and have different relationships in the online world that you couldn't necessarily accomplish on the in the scene world, right? Or the real world, so to speak. And the world of pornography does many similar things, right? It's a world where the masculine energy can feel totally empowered. The feminine, you know, conforms and validates and gives him what he wants. No questions asked, no complaining, no, you know, alternative motives. It's just about your desire and escapism and false fulfillment. But this actually ends up leaving most men more depleted, right? Especially when they have an upset, depleted woman on the other side of their, you know, current escapism mechanism, right? But I think that those themes are pretty strong in both of these outlets, you know, storytelling, power over the story, uh, shaping the meaning for how I want it to, you know, uh, give myself value, um, a sense of control, predictability, and purpose and value that is sometimes difficult to accomplish um, in the world. And again, this isn't not all guys who are unemployed, and they don't have a job, and they're, they're barely paying the rent. These are also men that are 
crushing it successfully on paper when it comes to the success points of the dunya, right? It's like the guy has a house and two kids and three cars and, uh, you know, and makes good money, but he's still, this is his personal state. So that's important also uh, as my closing note on that feedback. I think that's something that's a very important point to bring up that it's it's not just the stereotypical, you know, people like to say the guy who lives in his mom's basement, right? That's not the... Not, not often the case. It's a lot of times it's somebody who you would look up from the outside looking in, you think, oh man, he's, he's the man. So, and there's an interesting uh, uh, component to this. And I, and I think there's something that you said that really, that really hits home in our time that men are often asked to do the impossible. And I think women are in, in a different way, but you said that, right, that we as men, we have these emotional needs but we're not allowed to show them. And while women, they want us to do that, there's often, there's also this component from the feminine that's like, uh, you know, not too much though. You know, don't, uh, it's kind of like this impossible task of, you have to be emotional and be romantic in these things, but I don't, I don't need you to be too vulnerable with me. Cause I, I, you, you know what I mean? There's this sort of like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Or what, what's your experience of that? Like, in other words, when is it too much? And why does that perhaps serve as maybe a turnoff for the feminine in your estimation? Well, you know what I think it is? I think it comes down to a man being rooted in his essential nature. And we'll hear from Mr. Jordan more about what he means by man's essential nature and more in part two of this lovely discussion. Thank you for tuning in to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Dear thanks to all my patrons for supporting the show. Please join us and sponsor us patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem.